Hi, my name is Len Bellello, and I'd like to welcome you to the Wit and Wisdom Podcast. It's a podcast created by and for modern midlifers, and that means those of us in our 40s, 50s, and even 60s. You see, what those of us entering midlife or those of us firmly in it have in common is a sense of who we are and what we want to do with the rest of our lives. Chapter two, if you will. Now on this podcast, we talk to vibrant modern midlifers and we learn from their failures, from their joys and their successes. Now this podcast, Wit and Wisdom, is owned and operated by a company called Wisdom Essentials and they are a next generation wellness company who's on the forefront of delivering on the promise of CBD and other plant-based botanicals. The founders are Tom Lamb and Dennis Keene, and they started this company because it's personal to them. They had a friend who was in pain for much of his life, and all their products are meant to minimize pain naturally, as well as improving sleep and focus. So please check them out at wisdomessentials.com, but wait for the podcast to be over, okay, because we got a good show. In today's episode, we are speaking to Rick O'Leary from Austin, Texas, though he was born and raised in the New York City area. Over the last 10 years or so, Rick has made some profound changes in his life. He went from smoking a pack of cigarettes a day to learning and competing in Muay Thai, which is a form of kickboxing, and it requires not only endurance, but quick thinking. And Rick also went into a match with somebody more than 10 years younger than him and did extremely well. Now, Rick is also an accomplished dog photographer. Yep, dog photographer. So not only does he have a great eye for photography, but he also brings these images to life featuring full-size, detailed, colored murals. And on top of that, Rick is in his second marriage and the proud father of his toddler son named Dylan. Now, making these changes in Rick's life was not quick or easy, but Rick felt they were necessary to live the rest of his life as he envisioned it, which is being in a great relationship with a wonderful family and being fit in mind, body, and spirit. And I think you're really going to get a lot out of this episode with Mr. Rick O'Leary. All right, we have, as you heard in the intro, Mr. Rick O'Leary here with us on the Wit and Wisdom podcast. And and Rick, thank you very much uh, for the time. I know you're in Austin, Texas, so hope we're not troubling you in between barbecues there, but thanks for being on the show. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me, Len. It's great to be here. Always a pleasure, my friend. You're doing some great things in this space, and uh, I'm really excited to, to be on this today with you. Awesome. Awesome. The goal of this podcast is to have modern midlifers who are, you know, leading active lives mentally spiritually physically kind of talk to us right and talk to the audience so we can learn a little bit you know from your successes from your failures from your challenges what makes you go and things like that so that's really what we're going to touch on today if that's okay with you absolutely it sounds right. great i'm excited right, to talk all right in the intro we we learned a little bit about you with your i hope i pronounce this correctly muay thai which is a form of kickboxing and you're also a professional dog photographer which is wonderful and i guess my first question would be if i was talking to rick o'leary at age like 19 or 20 and i told you this is what you'd be doing in t in your late 40s would you think that would be accurate no absolutely not <laughs> okay so when i was in my 20s i was working part-time 
while also going to school part-time, going to community college part-time. Okay. My passion at that time was really music. I mean, right. that's what I was really into in my teens and 20s was playing guitar and rock bands. I mean, I was actually in this band at the time called Stratosphere with a bunch of guys from Bergen County in New Jersey. I had long hair practically down on my waist. <laughs> this was around the late 80s, early 90s, right? When hair metal and grunge were kind of starting to come together in class. Sure. But, but we had some good success. We, we played with some pretty notable hair bands like Enough's Enough, Taiketo, Lillian Axe, a bunch of others. Um, if there are folks listening in that are in their 40s and 50s on here, some of those names might ring a bell. But no, I, I, I never would have uh, I never would have even imagined where I'd where I'd be today or what I'd be doing. And that happens a lot. We, we've uh, we, we find out. So that's good. And it's you know, it, it's interesting the different places that life will take us. And, you know, I definitely want to talk about the things that you're doing now because they're very interesting. But there are some things that have kind of been the catalyst or the trigger. And if we could touch a little bit more about you know, maybe after the hair band, so you don't have to tell us like all the different ingredients you put in your hair to get it that way. But if we could talk about 20s and 30s, I know you were in digital media, which was very hot, you know, in the 90s. And that was a big thing. But if you and I know you had like a challenging marriage and there was some addiction to tobacco products and things like that. So if you can kind of just touch on that a little bit. And then as we get into the 40s. So while I was playing guitar, I was working at a music chain in Queens, on Queens Boulevard, called Sam Ash Music, actually selling guitars. Working with a bunch of very qualified and great musicians. Some of these guys played in bands like Quiet Riot, Twisted Sister, Brian Setzer, The Stray Cats. Wow. It was great. It was a lot of fun. However, after a while of doing that, I realized, look, I need to kind of start developing some form of a track to make more money and be successful in life. And I started exploring jobs and business sales. I wound up coming across this company called Sidex, C-I-D-E-X, which stood for Catalog Industrial Directory Exchange. And it was this internet-based startup and they needed full-time inside salespeople to basically do telemarketing for this new online B2B directory. Okay. I wound up getting this job, got my chops going on sales, proved myself out, and once that got underway, other doors opened for me in my career in digital media. And that's when I kind of went all in on internet advertising sales and digital media. And that turned into a really successful career that I'm still very much active in today. So you're not the guy that's responsible for all those crazy banners on all the websites, are you? How many banners have I sold <laughs> over the years? How many tens or hundreds of millions? <clears throat> It's unknown how many people I've actually annoyed with all that stuff. <laughs> That's okay. You know, I come from that world too. And I know like in your 20s, you uh, had a marriage that was probably not the best and and some other things. And just can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how it kind of helped you take the next step? So, yeah, I, I got married in my mid to late 20s. It did start off great like most marriages obviously do. We were living in Queens in yep. small apartments both obsessed with music at the time. She was actually a writer for a number of different music magazines. Oh. Fast forward, we got married. We bought our house in Westchester County, New York. But I started realizing in my 30s, like we were ever changing. I was very much a different person with the goals I had in my 20s versus what I started unfolding in my 30s and really wanted to get deeper into my career and thinking about building a family. However, 
she didn't unfold and wanted to basically remain a teenager forever. <laughs> so that mix ultimately is what started drawing us apart. And in parallel with that, my ex-wife had a severe addiction to both a combination of prescription drugs and alcohol, oh boy. which is just terrible yeah. and often proves lethal, lethal. And she was in and out of hospitals on a pretty regular basis. And I just saw like, what is she doing and where is this going to ultimately go? So she wound up overdosing ultimately and passed away. And, you know, throughout that process, what I realized was she wound up passing away after we finalized our divorce and it was three or four years later. But I saw this sinking ship in front of me and I was on it with her. And I realized, like, I've got to save myself and I've got to jump off of the ship. And that's what I did. And, you know, sadly, she passed away, but I had to move on and I had to save myself. Wow. Uh, I'm rarely at a loss for words, but I'm, I'm glad that you came out, you know, good on the on the other end. And I, I've met you in person, obviously, many times. And you're very, very fit and athletic. And, you know, for, for somebody in their late 40s, music and, and running track usually don't go together. Were you even into fitness remotely as a kid or a young adult? Or did it come after this kind of what happened with your wife and where you saw that you, your life might be going? Yeah, it was definitely later on because Len, okay. when I was a teenager, I was one of those guys that was bone skinny. I could eat whatever the heck I wanted to. Yeah. I remember my mom feeding me two or three steaks at a time and wow. having weight gain shakes to try to gain weight. That's how skinny I was. I was so active between working and being in bands and just running around that I couldn't even put calories on if I tried. So I, I didn't really need to be as active in terms of Uh, going out and doing exercises and going to gyms and things like that. So that really did come later on. And okay. So, you know, the marriage ended and, and you moved on from that and you saw that you really wanted to kind of change paths, right? Healthy, physically, mentally, and even financially with uh, some work. And I know that you had, uh, you know, been smoking for a bit. And at one point, you know, you, you stopped that, I think easily cold turkey, something like that. Well, quitting smoking is never really easy, but I can share that I was a heavy smoker for over 20 plus years, smoking a pack a day and talk to anybody who smokes a pack a day. They're going to tell you they're getting up in the morning. The first thing they're doing is lighting up and their whole day is revolving around that next cigarette before and after a meal breaks at work. If you have to get on an airplane, I got to squeeze my cigarette in all this stuff. It's just a terrible way to live. And I remember... I was having a physical in my young 40s talking to my physician and he was asking about how long have you been smoking and he got so candid with me. He's like, you're going to need to prepare yourself for what's going to happen to you in your 50s. Very likely scenario if you keep continuing to smoke. And that really struck a chord with me. Yeah. And I finally made a decision like, you know what? This is just something I need to eliminate from my life. If there are so many bad things about it, there's just no positive at all. I've got to do this. I found this book called The Easy Way to Quit Smoking by Dr. Alan Carr on Amazon. It had incredible reviews. You read the book, you can smoke as much as you want through it. (laughs) And I read this thing and it it changed my life. It changed how I saw smoking and it got me to stop. And I I stopped and I never looked back. And yeah, I, I encourage if there are anybody listening to this who is a smoker to, and if you're interested in stopping and 
kicking this habit once and for all. Check that book out, The Easy Way to Quit Smoking. Okay, so you quit smoking. You're feeling good. You're still living in uh, New York City, and you are single. You're living in Queens, and now you're working, but you also you know, want to probably meet the next person that you would spend hopefully the rest of your life with, right? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. I mean, I was on a on a good track here. I quit smoking. I started exercising regularly. I was looking to meet somebody that could become my life partner and my next wife. And you did that. How did you do that? So I met Rebecca on Tinder in March of 2015. And there's some really interesting things about the story and meeting her. Sure. Number, number sure. one, she was working in the building directly across the street from us at Prohaska Consulting. That's a programmatic consulting firm in New York led by Matt Prohaska. Len and I actually both worked there together at one point. In any event, Rebecca used to record across the street in that building for one of her clients for some of her voiceover work. I used to joke with her and say, I could literally throw a rock from our office to yours. That's how close she was. So looking at meeting somebody in Tinder who lived in Astoria, Queens, but also worked directly across the street from you, I mean, what are the chances of that, <laughs> right? Right. So Rebecca and I hit it off great. I just loved her energy as a person. She was also such a knockout, just beautiful, gorgeous mm -hmm. woman, big heart, passionate about her career, very goal-oriented. I had a lot of Tinder dates prior to meeting her, and she really matched up with what I was looking for. She was an absolute standout, and I knew I had something special in my hands and didn't want to let it go. Nice. And ultimately, we wound up getting engaged fairly quickly. Wow, that's great. And you know what I wanted to touch on too? I think came first, or at least prior. So you quit smoking, you're feeling good, but like you said, you were always a skinny kid. You know, I'm sure you're into your 30s and 40s, you probably put on a little bit more weight, but you were never athletic. But you know, we're going to get into the kickboxing and and I apologize if I pronounce it wrong. Moy toy Thai. And I'm picturing like some type of UFC thing, which I don't know if it's related to, but can we talk about like the physical part and even, you know, approaching something like this, which I've seen videos of looks like fairly serious. You know, I'm sure you can start off easily. You know, how did that feel at in the early forties going into something like this? It felt very challenging going into this. So I wanted to, I started getting more active exercising. I was actually doing my first spout of real exercise, getting back into this after I quit smoking, was going to this place called Flywheel and doing all this long cycling, aggressive oh, yeah. bike cycling stuff. And I liked it. But it got, it got stale. It didn't stick with me. It didn't really okay. stick with me. So I started thinking about other things I wanted to do, and I had this interest in boxing. So my brother, Phil, who's also uh, in the martial arts space, was training Muay Thai and doing some strength and conditioning at this place in New York City called King's Thai Box. And he got wind that I was interested in. He's like, hey, I'm gonna buy you some private lessons for your birthday. I want you to mm -hmm. come down here, train with one of the coaches and see how you like it. And I did, and I loved it. It was great, it was amazing. And then after having those private lessons, I started talking to some of the other coaches that were there and met the head coach, Aaron Fisher who's an amazing guy. He's lived and breathed Muay Thai most of his life. You could see his belts, his photographs, the history of what he's done in this gym and all the years he spent in Thailand training and fighting. And I was so in awe of this. And I thought it would be so neat to be a part of this gym and, and, and learn this art with these different people. 
And uh, ultimately, I, I, I committed to it and I jumped in. And, yep. and, and six years later, I'm still doing it. And I'm still very good friends with these guys. Can you tell the audience uh, specifically, because uh, the difference or similarities of Muay Thai Thai versus like the normal kickboxing and UFC, you know, uh, fighting that we see on, on, on TV and things. Okay. Yeah. So when, so it's actually called Muay Thai. Muay Thai. Sorry. Yeah, yep. Which, which uses some components of kickboxing plus more. Okay. Right. And it's often referred to as Thai boxing as well. So okay. we, we call Muay Thai the art of eight limbs and your weapons are essentially your fists, your legs, predominantly your shins and your feet, your ah. knees and your elbows. These are your weapons. These are your weapons for combat. This is 100% full stand-up and striking. There's no grappling. So a lot, of, a lot of what you may see, or a lot of people see that are listening to this, they're watching UFC fights or MMA and stuff on TV. And a lot of what those guys are doing when they're standing up and they're in combat standing up, they're often using Muay Thai as part of that arsenal for striking in parallel with other things like Taekwondo and Karate. Got it. And this is something you did, you know, people go to the gym two, three times a week when they're working out. Was this like that kind of rhythm or is it once a week? Uh, how many, how often did you train to get to where you were? Well, it started off going a couple times a week. And when you go into these schools, they don't just throw you in and, and say, here, put on some boxing gloves and, and cover, cover up. You're going to be taking some punches. Right. You start off, it's a very formalized training process where you, you start working with groups of people right. or with an individual coach and you're using pads. So you're wearing gloves, you're wearing wraps, but you're hitting pads and you're holding pads and you're learning techniques. You're learning how to kick properly, how to throw an elbow, how to throw boxing combinations. And you're working on basics and basics and basics right. for a very, very long time and always continue to to this day. And as you evolve in your training, you start moving up into other areas and you start doing controlled combinations and contact with teammates and other people in your gym. And then when you get good and you get comfortable with that and you're comfortable taking punches and getting hit, you mm -hmm. move into technical sparring or lighter sparring and then eventually up to harder sparring. So it, it is a journey and it, it takes time and it takes commitment to right. get yourself and you can go at whatever pace that you want, however often right. you like. Okay. So I'm picturing karate kid for adults with Mr. Miyagi, uh, on, on the lighter side, but on, the, <laughs> but on a little bit more serious side and, and, uh, and Rick, you know, one of the things I, I know about you is uh, about a year or two ago, you stepped into a ring and fought in Muay Thai, Muay Thai. I'm going to say it wrong the whole time. I apologize. You fought somebody more than 10 years or just about 10 years younger than you. And I know there was no winning and losing. I think you told me that before, but if there was one, it looks like you probably would have won, uh, at least from the video that I've seen. Can you tell me, man, what was, you know, from the moment that you decided to fight somebody younger than you and right through the fight and even after the fight, can you tell us the feelings and maybe any extra preparation, mental, physical that you went through and just tell us about that fight the day of and during? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot to cover off on there. Um, I do want to say that for somebody my age who's, who at the time in their 40s, and I still am today, it's not like an opportunity like this presents itself very often. 
I mean, I remember walking into this gym, my, my local boxing gym, and I had been going there for close to five years. And I never had the chance at fighting somebody, but I did a lot of hard sparring. And I had, I had done everything that was available to me as far as resources, as far as how I can push myself. And I walked in and I saw this piece of paper on the front desk and it said, fight sign up for Smoker for June 2019 at King's. If Wait, you don't smoke anymore, though. How could you do that? <laughs> well, we could talk about what a smoker is in Muay Thai or in Thai boxing in a second. Okay. But uh, <laughs> it's definitely not smoking cigarettes. They said, if you're interested, put your name and weight down and that you'd like to fight at. So I wound up, I walked over to Aaron Fisher, the lead coach at this gym, and I said, Aaron, is this, is this really happening? Or are there going to be fights going on here? And, and can I do this? And he was like, yeah, if you're interested. And I said, absolutely. Put my name down immediately. I wrote down my weight of 180. And in right. my eyes, I said, you know, this is a chance for me to put all these techniques that I've learned yeah. into real life action. And on top of that, my son, Dylan, was about to be born two months later in August. So I said, this is the time to do this. If there's a time in my life that I want to take this on and take on this challenge, which wound up being eight weeks of hard work leading up to this fight. This is the time to do it. And then my fight shortly got confirmed. And yep, you're right. I, my, my, my colleague at the gym or my, my, uh, one of my training partners, Kurt Bell, we both signed in at 180 pounds and he was 32 years old. So he's about right. 15 years younger than me. Oh, wow. I didn't know he was that young. Wow. Okay. And we, uh, we got started on our path leading up to this fight. Well, that's great. And, you know, just for the people out there that don't know, what is a Muay Thai smoker? A smoker is a non-sanctioned fight that usually takes place inside the rings or training facilities of Muay Thai gyms. And the fighters can be from other gyms in that region or even fighters competing, competing against each other from the same gym. It's super high intensity fight, typically with 90 to 120 second rounds. So a minute and a half to two minute rounds. And my fight was three rounds in my case. You are experiencing everything exactly as you would in a sanctioned fight, the nerves, the adrenaline, all the buildup leading up to the fight. And for context, for those listening about Muay Thai, there are no belts in Muay Thai like Taekwondo. In Muay Thai, you advance, you progress and push yourself by going from technical sparring to hard sparring and then fighting or hence this smoker. And, and this was what was in front of me was the bar to get me to that next level and elevate myself to, to, to do this great thing and have this fight. And I just want to add, in a smoker, there are no judges scoring points for landed kicks, knees, punches, okay. things that you typically count if you were watching a sanctioned professional fight or a fight on TV. The win in a smoker goes to both fighters who courageously got in that ring and took that step to lay it all on the lines together. And at the end of that fight, both hands of the fighters go up in celebration of that. So it's really a, a really, really special thing. And there's, there's a lot of history going, going back for many years about, about the evolution of Muay Thai smokers. And it sounds like, you know, just from your own personal experience, it sounds like something that somebody can do in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and even beyond, because it sounds like, you know, you do start easy and slow and you progress up to a certain point. And even if you never fight, it sounds like, you're still going to get so many benefits. And, and after the fight, did you get together with the gentleman that you fought? Did, are you still in touch? Or do you, are, are you Facebook friends? Like, what, tell us a little bit about after the fight, what happened and, and to now. 
Absolutely. So Kurt is a, is a good friend of mine. He lives in New York. I mean, I don't talk to him often, but that night we went out and we drank a bunch of beers together and we had a great time. And he's somebody I respect very much. He's in great athletic shape. And, you know, we wanted to have a, have a great competitive fight together, but we also yep. wanted to put on a good show for our friends and family that were there and have an entertaining fight and, and get a lot of oohs and ahs from the crowd, which we did. You know, you bring up a good point. I definitely want to get into the dog photography, and this has really, really been wonderful. Uh, it's definitely helped me, and I've known you for a while. You mentioned the beers, and I think, are you a vegetarian? Do you eat meat? Like, what is your kind of nutritional philosophy as far as, you know, eating and even working out now? But let's talk about nutrition and even, like, you know, how you feel as we get older. Are you noticing a little bit more kind of aches and pains and things like that? But let's talk about the food first, if that's okay. There's no real secret to the diet I'm on. I mean, okay. I'm trying to maintain and stay in the healthy, so to speak, area of what a doctor would tell me to be. I mean, I'm almost okay. six feet tall. I weigh at any given time between 180, 85 pounds, 180 to 185. Okay. And, I'm, I, and I'm eating meats, chickens, vegetables, lots of good foods. I mean, I'll have an occasional pizza once a week. Right. I mean, there's, there's no real secret sauce. If I just stay away from the fast food places and don't go there often. And I don't go heavy on lots of chips and lots of French fries and, mm -hmm. and overindulging on all those things that we love. I want, and, and I maintain a consistent exercise of four yep. to five times a week. I wind up keeping myself in that zone of where I'm okay. And as far as, uh, you know, you're still working out obviously, and you've been working out now almost 10 years, if not more, you know, are you, how's your recovery? Is it about the same as it used to be? Do you get a little aches and pains in the joints or do you think what you're doing now is actually preventing those and keeping you, you know, without those? Well, it's both. So what I'm doing is definitely preventive to some degree. And I yeah. am focused a lot on doing Muay Thai work and thinking about where I want to go with my exercise. I need to be, I need to diversify more. I should right. be lifting weights more often and doing some okay. other things mixing up my exercise routine and as far as like uh injuries and things like that or, or just overall how i'm feeling yeah i mean i get sometimes i could overthrow my shoulder and my rotator cuff could bother me or something mm -hmm. like that so i got to be mindful of those things you know as i'm starting to approach 50 and thinking about what i can do so i I think Muay Thai is great. I'm going to absolutely keep doing it. But if I'm going to add something to my exercise regimen, I need to order some weights and get that as a part of the mix. And I've kind of been in lockdown as of lots of people. So confined to working from my home gym at the time being. And I know when you're in New York and, you know, for the audience, Rick recently moved to Austin, Texas uh, a few months ago where, and when you're in New York, how, how important was it? Like the gym, right? You know, we see Rocky. For those of us who remember any of the Rocky movies, it, it was it was very competitive, but it was also very social. You had people that were pushing you and encouraging you at the same time. Did that help? Like, did you find? I know you had coaches, but did you find partners there? And now that you're here in Austin, it might be a tough question because of the COVID. But did that come into play? Did that help you? Well, in, in New York, this gym became such a tremendously big part of my life. I was there often five times a week, had so many close friends there. I mean, guys that just became like brothers to me that we were pushing each other and challenging each other. And 
you know, had very enduring sessions, whether we were pushing, pushing each other on cardio with pads or pushing each other for sparring. And I really miss those relationships and I miss yeah. a lot of those guys and I miss the coaches. And I, I, and one of my coaches from New York, his name is Danny Miller. I still work with him today. So we do oh, a, like over yeah. zoom or something like that. Do you do like zoom workouts? That's right. So once a oh, week wow. we go down to my garage, I put the camera on my heavy bag and we talk and we work through technique and other areas of opportunity where I can continue to grow and evolve through COVID and while I'm kind of confined and, and stuck here in my garage. Wow. And you've had a lot of great, you know, between your wife, Rebecca, your brother that started you, the doctor that helped you, all these like little things when you put them all together, I mean, you can see why you where, you're, you are where you are now. But there's a big difference between kickboxing and Muay Thai and dog photography. And I know both of them satisfy different parts of you. Can you tell us a little about, you know, what invoked you to start doing dog photography? I've always had an incredible passion for dogs in particular. They're just amazing animals and they're super smart, incredible companions. We all know that, right? So sure. we, we got we got our dog, our current dog. His name is Charo, C-H-A-R-R-O. He's a rat terrier. He weighs about 23 pounds. He's three and a half years old. When we got this dog, I started doing lots of snapshots of this dog on my iPhone. And I just, I was getting some nice pictures and I was getting into it. And he wound up being this inspiration for me to go out and buy some better, high qual higher quality cameras. And I started doing more shots of him and taking more photos. And I was like, wow, I'm getting some really nice work here. And I started working on action photography and different ideas with portraits. And he wound up ultimately becoming this inspiration for what I wanted to do around dogs. And um, I came up with this, this concept of, I, I like shooting dogs and horses, and these are pack animals. And the name pack shooters came to me, which is a play uh, on photographing pack animals and shooting as we do in photography. And I trademarked right. that. So that wound up becoming this full-fledged business that I now have in motion today. And how often do you, you know, I know when you're in New York, it was a little bit easier. There were all these dog parks and dog runs and, you know, since moving out to Texas, do you, have you had a chance to do it as much as you did in New York? Well, that's the thing. We got here in January of last year and settled in and then COVID shortly hit after and, yeah. and COVID really shut the photography world down to many, many degrees, especially the pet photography world and wedding photography and so many other lines of businesses. What I can tell you that this opportunity in working with these animals, it gives me the ability to catch deep expression and emotion. And if you, if you were here today and you looked at the majority of my work, yeah. a lot of that emotion is captured in the eyes of the animal. So much oh. expression comes through the soul or comes from the soul through the eyes. And a lot of my work is done on location. A lot of what I was doing in New York was location-based. So now that we're, we're kind of coming out of COVID to some degree, and it's also cooling down here in Texas now, Okay. There's going to be some really, really amazing opportunity for me to go out on lots of locations here and photograph lots of different dogs and meet people and really start to entrench myself in the dog community here at large. And uh, for, on Instagram, you are Pack Shooters or Pack Shooter? It's Pack Shooters. Yeah, P-A-C-K okay. Shooters on Instagram. Now, is it hard to get film uh, at the stores to shoot the dogs? 
That's a joke. No <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> you, you had me fooled there for a <laughs> No, it was everything's digital now. So, Len, it's interesting you say that because you're right. Content is getting consumed so quickly as we know in this day and age and photography across Facebook and Instagram, which is often a small screen like a mobile device. Yeah, sure. What I'm doing and my mission here is to offer pet owners the opportunity to capture an amazing image and bring that image to life in their home through large wall art pieces. Oh, so okay. if you were to walk into my house downstairs right now, I have 36 by 24, 30 by 40, 40 by 60 pieces hanging in my house of amazing images of humans with their dogs, horses. And these are pieces that people are just in awe when they see. And this is what I want to offer people. I want to give them the chance to not just send them an image that they're going to share on Instagram or Facebook, but I want to shoot them beautiful photography and beautiful images and help them through that process of getting that, bringing that to life in a piece of wall art. Got it. And most of the photos with, with, with the owners or just the pets or a combination of both typically? It's typically a combination of both okay. the pet alone. I do a lot of action stuff. So it could be a dog running at me or horses running at me, what have you. But it can also be uh, a beautiful picture of the, right. of the owner and their animal together. So it's usually usually a mix. So I'm just giggling because I'm picturing like a stagecoach of horses running at you and you taking a photo. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh cool all right and then you know we also know that you're lucky enough to have not only a beautiful wife but a wonderful son who's just about a year old or is and uh i'm just kind of you know curious because you've you know found this enlightenment in your life that not a lot of people do and if they do sometimes it's earlier sometimes it's later who knows but how are you using you know the knowledge and the support that you've gotten from friends and family and coaches how does that enter into how you become, how your parents, both you and your wife, or just you, how, how you become, how you're fathering your son right now? So thank you for that, Len. Yeah, our son is Dylan O'Leary. He just turned one last month. Okay. I can't put into words how amazing he is and how much I love being a dad and, and, and just how incredible this experience has been. And, and I'm so excited for all of the things that we're going to be able to do and grow and prosper as a family. And I really see a lot of him and Rebecca, as well as myself. And, and I can tell you, he's already obsessed with animals and music. Yeah. Obviously, with, with Muay Thai, there's clear benefits from a perspective of self-defense. I mean, that's, that's a given with any martial art, right? Yeah. But this, being a part of this, it's helped me to build confidence and self-control on many things, both physically and emotionally. And, I, and it's helped me unleash more potential areas in all of my life. So I, I find that Muay Thai boxing is really a lifestyle both inside and outside the gym. And it's a journey of continuing to improve yourself mentally, physically, and spiritually. And as a part of that, I mean, Dylan is a part of me now and he's along for that ride. So anything that I can do to make myself a better person and improve his life and provide opportunity for him to grow and prosper and teach him things that I've learned about challenging and pushing myself is going to help him evolve into a great young man and, and ultimately an adult. Well, he's, he's lucky to have a father and a mother like you. I'm, I'm, I've met your wife several times and, and that's great. 
So, uh, Irish Catholic uh, guy from New York City uh, reminds me of that song, uh, you know, from the Manhattan Transfer. Ooh, ooh, tell me about the boy from New York City. But anyway, living in Austin now. You got married in Mexico, and your wife, your wife and her family are from Southern Texas and the Mexico area. Can you tell us, you know, what it was like? Was it as much of a culture shock moving to Austin from New York, and and how are you guys getting along there? And and do you, you think? Uh, how are you enjoying it there? And I know that you got married in Mexico, and I know that you're currently living in in Austin, Texas. And I did see some photos from your wedding, and one of them that struck me was that you were on a horse dressed in a beautiful, beautiful suit. And so, t- can you tell us a little bit about what it was like, you know, getting married down in Mexico, and what it's like living in Austin, Texas, from you know being a New York kid most of your all of your life until recently. Rebecca and I got married in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. It's an amazing city. It's one of the oldest colonial towns in the central highlands of Mexico. And Rebecca's brothers live there. And her brother, Rodrigo, owns and operates an ecotourism business. It's called Coyote Canyon Adventures. A lot of it's horseback riding and hot air ballooning. But you're right about the horses because Rodrigo helped put together some really special things for our wedding. And one of those things was after our beautiful outdoor spiritual wedding, Rebecca and I had a parade on horseback through the cobblestone streets of San Miguel de Allende. And that's actually called, I hope I say this right, a callejonada. <laughs> and Rebecca and I led this parade of people behind us. We were on horses and everybody behind us was sipping tequila. There was a mariachi band. We had big parade <laughs> puppets. Yeah. It was an incredible experience. And then we wound up topping that off at the at our wedding reception that night. I got up on stage and played guitar. I did a bunch of songs with the band, some Led Zeppelin stuff, Stone Temple Pilots. It was great. And then on top of all that, we were there for a bunch more days and we wound up doing lots of different horseback riding excursions and doing pub crawls on horses and full day excursions out in the canyon. It was just amazing. So as you can see, I mean, I, I've always, sure, I've been a New Yorker my whole life, but I've always been totally into the outdoors and into stuff mm-hmm. like this. Right. Yeah. So Austin is an amazing city. And coming to Texas for us, it made a lot of sense for many different reasons. Rebecca's family has always been from Texas. She's mm-hmm. not a native New Yorker. She was in New York right. for 12 years. We met there. Her family has always been here. So that was one cue to come here. But the main thing was Dylan. I mean, we knew Dylan was coming. He was going to be born. We wanted to get a big house and we wanted to look for new opportunity. We wanted to do something different. We started kicking around this idea of Texas and I didn't want to go to some of the smaller towns, but I was open to, hey, let's go check out Austin. So we came here. The culture is incredible. Right. You've got so much of what New York has to offer if you want it. And you got other things and you've got the lake life and you've got different weather. You don't have cold winters. And we've got a beautiful big house here. So there there was a lot of things that made sense to come here. And now we're just closer to her family, but we're still going to do lots of travel back and forth to New York. And I, of course, I miss it because I grew up in New York and I love New York. Sure. And, you know, you said only a, a short f- flight away, you can go back to your fluke fishing a few times a year because <laughs> I know you love to do that too. And, oh, yeah. you know, th- yeah. And the title of this is Wit and Wisdom. And, and I think we've had, you know, uh, a, a good amount of both. I want to thank you for that. And just before we close, to summarize, you know, let's say if there's somebody here with us that are 44, they're 52, 57, 
And yeah, we could get cliche and say it's ne- you know it's never too late to start, and that is true, right? Cliches are, are are cliches because they're largely true. But if you had to boil it down to one or two, maybe even three things, but maybe just one or two things, pieces of advice, and it could be advice that you could give to somebody, or just advice that you followed yourself to you know as to somebody that's approaching or or in the second part of their lives and wants to adjust the path either radically or maybe just a little what would you what advice would you give to them that's a great question so first of all major change and transformation is not easy and you need to know that in all likelihood you're going to be challenged along the way in one form or another i have a good example of this to speak to when Rebecca and I decided we wanted to have a child. It was a long journey for us to make that happen. And we had some real big setbacks. I mean, oh. we ultimately needed the power of medical assistance and technology to get Dylan, who's here now. So we had a miscarriage. <laughs> we were told by several doctors the chances of ever having a healthy baby born are basically zero. And Whoa. we were not going to settle for that. So we stuck the course And we got some additional professional opinions and look at some other options. And then we started doing IVF. And you know what? In November 2018, Rebecca got pregnant and it worked. But this was a journey with lots of hills to climb and to stick with. Looking back on what we're talking about as far as my transformation and some of these things in my earlier 40s, it was being aware of things that didn't seem so obvious at the time, but they stood out enough that I had to start somewhere. I believe quitting smoking was that one thing that unlocked a daisy chain of so many other things that began to fall into place. So for the listeners out there, that could be anything. I mean, reflect on the things that you're doing that could be holding you back and work on resolving them. But don't try to do everything at once. Start with one thing and think about what that one thing is. And if you're on a great path and you don't need to detract anything, There's other things that you can do and you can keep challenging and pushing yourself. And on that note, I turn 50 in March of next year and my journey of evolution is far from over. I'm really excited about what the future is going to hold in my 50s and beyond and what challenges are going to lie ahead and want to continue this path of spiritual growth with, with my family and friends, of course. And you've, like we said earlier, you had a really good support group, you know, your brother, the the doctor, all those things. And maybe people could also look for those types of people. And sometimes they're, you don't even realize it. Like the doctor, who, who would have known? He says, hey, Rick, if, you know, do it now instead of doing it later. So, you know, thanks for sharing that. And then um, for those people that if you are a dog lover or a horse lover or an Instagram lover, just uh, you can go to Instagram and look for Rick at Pack Shooters on Instagram. And please uh, follow him. But Rick, thanks again for this. And uh, hopefully we'll do this again maybe next year and check in, uh, see where you are. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Len. This was great. Thanks so much for having me on this podcast. And yeah, let's, let's plan to do it again sometime. Hey, I hope you enjoyed our talk with Rick O'Leary. And boy, what a wonderful message and story he's got. I got a lot out of it. I know that. And Rick easily could have taken a different path, but he took stock of his life and he decided to make changes. And along the way, some people came into his life, call them angels, call them encouragers, call them what you will. But people came into his life that encouraged 
or assisted in making these changes. Now, one of them was his doctor telling him to quit smoking. The other was his brother offering him free Muay Thai kickboxing classes. And if you're into that type of thing, you know, maybe do some research on Muay Thai boxing. And if you're in the New York City area, you can check out King's Thai Boxing on 36th Street and 5th Avenue, I believe. Now, while Rick made some amazing, fantastic, and inspiring changes in his life, he even, you know, told me after we stopped recording that it's an ongoing process. And Rick still eats normal you know, food, he tries to be healthy when he can, but he's not perfect. And he will, you know, drink on occasion socially and around uh, holidays and things like that, ball games. So in no way is he perfect and perfection is tough to be. But you can strive for change in your life, take an assessment of where you are and where you want to go. And that's really, I think, was Rick's main message. And we thank him again for being here and look for him on Instagram at pack shooters on Instagram. You'll see many of his lovely dog photos. Now, once again, this podcast is owned, operated and promoted by the good folks over at wisdom essentials and wisdom essentials.com is their website. Wisdom essentials is on the forefront of bringing the promise of CBD and other plant-based botanicals into our normal everyday lives to keep us as pain-free and healthy and happy and grounded as possible. Hey, there was a lot in this podcast, so uh, feel free to listen to it again. You won't be charged. It's totally free. Just kidding. It really is free. But what I also want to remind you is if you did like it, please rate and review it. And most of all, share it with friends and loved ones who may need to hear this similar message. For the Wit and Wisdom podcast, my name is Len Bellello. And please remember to check out Wisdom Essentials at wisdomessentials.com. And we're young.